We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Everybody, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, and we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. And joining me, well, he is the one and only Michael Strahan Fachi. Fachi, all I gotta say is the gap between me and the rest of the players in our fantasy football league uh, is probably a lot bigger than Michael Strahan's gap in a smile. Hey, look, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the comparison to to Mike Tyson and Mike Michael Strahan, all of them. Give me that. We got a Hall of Fame-worthy comparisons over here. It's big shoes to fill. But, Alex, like you mentioned, we actually had some Pacer news today. May really made me feel like Pacer basketball truly is right around the corner. So you want to tell everybody what we're going to be breaking down today? I will. But first, I just want to give an update quickly. I did throw a little bit of a, um, a teaser out there with my intro talking about fantasy football. So for our Setting the Pace Fantasy Football League, my team is atrocious right now, Faji. Okay. Oh wow, I did not know that. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe so, you were in first. No, I, that's what I meant by gap. I'm terribly at the bottom. Uh, my my fantasy football name is Pritchlap. So it's nice, nice. Uh, we are definitely doing a Pritchlap. We have made multiple trades <laughs> from this team. I will honestly say I hated my team once I drafted it. Outside of Jamar Chase, ended up trading him. Got uh, AJ Brown and Kyle Pitts in the trade back. Traded Kyle Pitts last week. I've made like seven moves already. Oh in terms of trade. Two weeks in. Dude, I made a lot of deals. The only player currently on my roster that I drafted, only one player stands. That's Kirk Cousins, and that's because nobody wants to trade for him, okay? So with that being said, fewest points scored in the league, 121 points through two weeks, Fachi. It is looking abysmal, and uh, I will have to say that the player that I placed, uh, played last week, I think it was – Brady Gaga, I can't remember, but it was we had literally the lowest scoring 
match. It was a toilet bowl of matchups last week. One of us is going to get a win, but we didn't deserve it. All I got to say is uh, I'm definitely pulling a Kevin Pritchard here if this is how things are going to go this year because my team is tanking badly, <laughs> and I am uh, in desperate need of a miracle. Hey, time to hit the reset button or, you know, as you mentioned, the toilet bowl, time to flush it, you know, and out with the old, in with the new. Uh, man, that is a uh, 120 points through two weeks. I mean, there's a lot of teams I would imagine scoring that in one week. Maybe my scoring is different in my league, but I put up over 120. So that team that you got, man, they must downright stick. A 16-team league, Fachi. My first pick That's was tough. Jamar Chase. My second one was Cam Akers. I traded Ooh, him. Well, there you go. Well, I traded him before the season started. Oh, you got lucky. Yeah, my third pick, I don't even remember who it was. I think it was uh, Kittle, and he hadn't played. I ended up trading him in a deal. So I was trying my best to get my team better. I've made more trades. My team now is Cousins, Daryl Henderson, Adam Thielen, A.J. Brown, uh, Nate Brown. I picked him up off waivers. Uh, Everett from the Chargers, the Seahawks defense, and Graham Gano as my kicker. My bench is just awful. Hopefully Godwin can get healthy for Tampa Bay. That'll be a good pickup, but – Matt Ryan, Rex Burkhead, Zach Moss, uh, Gordon the third, Komet, and Dorch. This is a, just a crappy team. This is game. so bad. I mean, it just kept getting worse and worse. Like, I, I feel for you, man. A 16-team league is tough, but there is not enough talent to go around on that team that you just mentioned. No. So, hey, rather than bore our listeners with how bad that team is, we finally had something a little bit exciting. <laughs> Chad Buchanan got to got to speak on you know the the, the Pacers today, and uh, he had some interesting uh, interesting comments over here that I think that people are gonna gonna want to hear. So, uh, Alex, you want to kind of break down what one of your main takeaways were? Yeah, so I think first things first, he was the the Pacers had their annual golf outing before the season starts. Almost everybody's back. There's pictures of Miles Turner returning on Tuesday. Buddy Hill, there's pictures of him returning today. So it looks like the roster, probably everybody but Daniel Tyus, but you've yet to see this man show up, Fachi. That's true. Everybody is here right now, but really some great stuff from Chad Buchanan. He joined our friend Kevin Bowen on the Kevin and Query show on 107.5 The Fan this morning for about a 20-minute conversation and really just gave some great stuff. Talked about some of the key, you know, not key players, but talked about some of the stuff that happened in the offseason. And I think the stuff that almost everybody saw on social media, I think Mark Stein even wrote an article about it. Chad Buchanan said Miles Turner will be on the team opening night. That question was directly asked to him, and he said, yes, he will be there. So I think that kind of quiets some stuff down in terms of the trade talks, which I kind of felt like was already there, Foch. I agree. But it, it, it just kind of like gave that stamp of approval. Okay, we're going to move on from this Lakers thing. I still think they could v- revisit it later. They could. But right now, I just don't think they're seeing eye to eye with what with what's going on. Yeah, look, the, the Turner quote right over there about him, you know, 100% being on the roster opening. That was the main quote, I feel like, that was taken away from this uh, this interview. But at the same point, just like you mentioned, I mean, what moves have really happened over the last couple of weeks? I feel like it's been just as quiet as can be to the point where I would have been a little bit shocked if the Pacers were to make a move right now. Opening night is pretty much right around the corner. It's just a a couple of weeks away to the point where, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think at this point, you know, you you would like it to be like, all right, hey, guys, look, this is the roster that we're going in with. If something happens... Great, we'll revisit that. But right now, we know Miles Turner's trade value is not at an all-time high. There's no need 
to to force a move. And like I said, opening night, it's pretty much here. It's close. Yeah, and, I, and one of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, he talked about Miles quite a bit. I don't know if you have any quotes from that podcast. Well, I, didn't, I do. didn't get a ton, but I thought some of the most interesting things, and I'll let you give those quotes directly if you have them, was kind of talking about this is kind of like a trial run to see what Miles looks like with Tyrese Halliburton. There's no Domas in the way. Miles gets a chance to be the solo center. Chad brought that up. You know, he said that basically what they relied on Sabonis to do for so long, they're now relying on their guards to do that. So did you happen to get the quotes there from Chad Buchanan on Miles Turner? Nothing in, in specific, just, you know, a lot of complimenting him for being, you know, like the greatest human being and being a really, yeah. really hard worker. And, you know, that he, what I want, it's not a direct quote, but he was very non-committal about the future of yes. Turner and the Pacers moving forward. It was a lot of, we're going to have to revisit that. We want to see how things play out. Hey, we haven't even seen him play with Tyrese Halliburton yet. So it was a lot of trying to deflect, you know, he acknowledged that obviously it's got to be hard to be in those rumors, but they want to treat every single player the same. Uh, so, you know, it, it, there was, it just basically one of the takeaways I got over here was that they didn't really hint at trying to get any type of extension done or even mention that they're trying to in any which way. It's very much, we want to play this out. Yeah. He did say something about, they'd have to talk with, you know, his agent, if mm -hmm. things really start working out well. But one of the things he talked about, too, is, you know, you know, there, there's no intention of trading him right now at the beginning yeah. of the season. That's obvious. That's very clear that they said that he said that. But he also said teams know where we value miles at. But if we get calls, we've got to listen. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. Like when you say something like that, even if you're the biggest Miles Turner diehard fan, you have to realize like, OK, Maybe the stuff that happened in the offseason, because he actually did address that. He said, Miles, obviously, this offseason went through some things involving him. Okay. So, by him addressing that, okay, it's pretty clear. Some of the stuff you heard was true. They did have talks involving him in trade talks, and they let him know. And he also said, there's some things that Miles did, did li didn't like, but that's part of being a pro. You have to get through that. And he said, Miles did that well. So, at the end of the day, no matter how big of a fan you are of Miles Turner, and, and you get tired of us hearing, you know, hearing us talk about trades or other national podcasts talking about it. The bottom line is there is a wide open door for a transaction to happen with Miles Turner still until that extension is done. So, you know, they've got to make a decision before the trade deadline, whether to extend him or not, because if not, he can walk for nothing Fachi. And that's where I think this really gets interesting this season. It's going to be a storyline all year. There's no way around it. Unless a deal is done, I do think that, with with every week that goes by, it's going to say, like, what, what the Pacers do over here? Are they, take, are they still taking calls? Well, they have to take calls. You know, they got to play it smart. You know, if Turner has a great game, hey, it's trade value higher. If Turner has a bad game, oh, man, the Pacers got to get ahead of this. It's going to be a storyline all year. But that, that that's we've been here before. We had it with Oladipo before. We had that 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 going on. So it's nothing new. It's definitely nothing new to Miles Turner, but it's definitely something to monitor on. But there were also a couple of other quotes in there that I thought was really great. And while these aren't exact words, I mean, uh, Chad Buchanan just loved the fact that he was mentioning that the voluntary workouts have been going on well over a month. There's been a great showing. And that Benedict Matherin looks every bit as advertised. He's mm. working out during the day. He's coming back at night. Yeah, and he's I love that. Super competitive. Says he hates losing to the point where he even has to leave the gym for a bit, kind of gather his thoughts, which I thought to myself, oh, man, 
Uh, I think this guy's in for a little bit more losing than he than he's used to. But that's what you want. You want someone that doesn't want to accept losing, that wants to continue to work at it, getting better. And this guy is clearly putting in the work. That gets you really excited about Benedict Matherin because that's the rookie you drafted. And for him to be that competitive, that makes you incredibly excited. I think another thing to bring in here with what Chad said was he talked about not looking at wins and losses this year mm-hmm. and looking yep. at growth. We've been talking about it. People got mad at us for our win-loss prediction. Okay, maybe yeah. we were a little bit under whatever. We undersold the team, the talent, whatever. But he said there's going to be nights when they click and everything goes well and they surprise teams, and there's going to be nights when they're just too outmatched. And talk about he talked about how deep the Eastern Conference is. So It is very deep. That That's one of those things where I think teams um, are, are so good right now in the Eastern Conference that it's not just going to be some blowover. But – Wanted to highlight what he said about two specific players, Fachi. First and foremost, Terry Taylor. Oh, yeah. Uh, this was a great quote that he gave. And Jake Query asked the question and kind of said, who's that guy that is on the roster that you guys really like that nobody really talks about? You know, who is that guy? And he said, one guy who's had a phenomenal offseason. He's been in our gym all summer. He does a lot of things. He's very underappreciated. I think he said a terrific summer. He also said a lot of people – in the NBA probably don't know his name, but it's Terry Taylor. He's looked great in pickup games. He keeps his mouth shut and just produces. So we know this about TT. We know that from watching him last year and and him coming on the podcast, how dedicated he is to getting better. But to get that kind of praise from your general manager, that clearly indicates that the front office backs Terry Taylor 100%, and I think they would really like to see him get some minutes this year. Oh, I love it. They were talking about how he's a player you hate to guard. You know he's going to box you out. He's not talking. He's just working. And it's just – I love it. Uh, for Terry to be able to get that praise over there, I mean, that's what we're talking about. When we did our minute rotation the other day, I felt sick to my stomach trying to be like, where am I going to find these minutes for Terry Taylor? Because he's got to get some minutes. And when he gets minutes, he makes the most of them. Just right now, there's a lot of young talent on that on this team. And when you mentioned before about the East being stacked, Alex, this is a good time to be rebuilding because Mm -hmm. the East is so competitive right now that even if we were truly trying to win, we would be in that play-in territory, and it would be hard to tell ourselves elsewise. I mean, otherwise, it would just be like, look, we can't lie to ourselves. This, This ain't the year, and I'm happy that it's known. And when they talked about don't judge by win or losses, uh, Buchanan mentioned similar to what it was like in Portland, how the growth came year after year. They showed improvement in the wins column. It'll happen. It will. It won't be this year, but it's important to be able to see the players grow on a nightly basis rather than just saying, did they win or, or, or did they? And a couple of teams that he compared it to is to Phoenix, Memphis, Cleveland. Those were a couple of teams that kind of have the blueprint of going from rebuilding potentially contenders. I mean, people forget Suns were in the dumpster for a while. All of a sudden they get Chris Paul, you know, they, a lot of things changed a lot. Memphis, number two pick John Morant, all of a sudden things turned around. They were the number two seed last year, Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland, it was rough for a while. I know they missed the playoffs. They got a great young core that they just added Donovan Mitchell to. So for this Pacers rebuild, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but you know, if that's the blueprint, those teams, I feel pretty good about it. I'll say this. If the Pacers somehow get the best pick in the draft, the first overall pick, I will lose my mind. This 
This week, and I don't know if you saw it or not, but Victor Wimbanyama oh went off gosh. against Israel's reigning champions. He had 34 points, 10 of 17 from the field, 13 of 13 from the free throw line, one steal and five blocks. Uh, just an incredible performance from him. He, he just does it on so many different levels, and his defensive presence is huge. Like This team has to get better defensively, and, man, if we can get our hands on him, that's going to be great. But I want to focus on this season, and my last thing here I want to say on this conversation was – Chad Buchanan did talk about Jalen Smith a little bit, mm -hmm. and this was not a direct quote, but he basically said Jalen Smith has had a great off offseason. He's been working more on creating his own shot and scoring off the dribble. He really likes the duo with him and Miles a little bit different than uh, Miles and Sabonis because of Jalen's ability to block shots. So hearing this, obviously, we know Jalen Smith is a very interesting player to all of us. Biggest move of the offseason was bringing him back. So, you know, he's going to have to prove himself as this starting power forward. But love to hear that he's working on different things to make him a more versatile player. Yeah, I mean, they talked about really they tasked him with improving defending on the perimeter. It was a major ask for him. And they're saying his perimeter defense feels a lot better. I mean, you already talked about what he can do offensively, what he's improved upon. I'm really excited for that because he said they said that he's basically shocked everybody on the team. And Man, we, we don't hear enough about Jalen Smith. We don't hear from Jalen Smith. Right. I, I would say, you know, when you when you think about Jalen Smith this offseason, you think of signing with a special pen, and then you think <laughs> of getting engaged, and none of that has anything to do with his game. So it was great to hear about what he's improved upon. And that really started getting me to be like, oh, man, Jalen Smith. I mean, I think we got our, our steal right over here. I mean, that really was the Pacers' free agent signing this offseason. So very excited. My last point that Chad Buchanan said, and I've said it a few times, so it was great to uh, be in agreement with this. He mentioned the DeRozan dagger buzzer-beating three on New Year's felt like it ended the season. And yeah. in my heart, I've said it before, I feel like that shot launched us into a rebuild because – DeMar DeRozan heaves this, you know, deep three at the buzzer to beat us, a guy who's never been known as a three-point shooter. And it's at that moment I knew, like, it's done. It's over with. Like, either we're we're putting all of our chips in to make the play in or, or we just admit it and we start over. And it was good to hear that I was not the only one that felt that that specific moment was more than just one L in the, in the loss column. <laughs> it, it meant something. So I thought that was interesting. No, I, you know, I actually feel like I've heard him say that before or somebody else said that before. I've maybe it was Pritchard a in an interview. Uh, maybe, maybe one of them. But, no, I was there watching that game in my house. I think it was New Year's Eve, right? It was after yeah, the no, game. Was, mm -hmm. I was just like, okay. And, and at that point, you know, I think it was – a um, they were like 13 and 19 at one point during the season. I don't know if it was around that time. But, like, the Pacers were not that far under 500. Like, they could have continued to try to mm -hmm. really get to a 500 record and make the playoffs. So the fact that that was kind of the shot that tipped the scales is really interesting. And, you know, I was listening to Sam Vecini's podcast. I'm sure you saw my tweet out there of the trade idea that him and his um, guest discussed, and it was involving Miles Turner. I'm not going to get into that. But one of the things they were talking about, they were talking about over-unders, and they said that 24-and-a-half felt really kind of low for Indiana. But at the same time, Sam Vecini was like, look, this team intentionally lost 10 games to end the season. Agreed. He said – I'm not saying that they're not a better talented team than, you know, 24 and a half wins, but 
He said, with how loaded everything is and with what they did last year, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if they're all in on trying to lose games to a certain degree. So with that being said, I thought I'd throw that out there just because it's interesting and it's good to hear somebody else that doesn't have an Indiana bias kind of say those things, Fudge. No, it is. And then look, if you're going to, if it took this long to get to this point, you might as well do it right. Yeah. I mean, look, if we're rebuilding, why not completely rebuild? And at that point, I've said it. I do think that even though this team is talented on paper, at some point, they will be sellers. Right. Miles Turner, Bodie Heald, not a guarantee to be on the roster after this season or, or be able to make it through this season. So I, I just feel like there's a chance that the Pacers could get ahead of it, double down, you know, rack up more losses, but also rack up more assets in the process. And for that, that's why I'm trying to, when I predicted their record, I had them really low in 24 and a half. I mean, look, that's a fine, you know, measuring stick last year. The Pacers at 25 wins. It feels like that is, that is a fair proclamation. I think we had them, you know, 21 and 22 wins. Yeah. So it's still going to be right in that territory. But like I said, like you said, it's always nice to hear from someone outside of the Pacer fan base on how they view this team. Absolutely. And one last thing before we take a quick break. Remember last episode we talked about James Johnson's contract Absolutely. and what that would be? Tony East coming in through here, uh, coming in the clutch here for us. James Johnson's contract with the Pacers contains Exhibit 9 language, meaning it's a non-guaranteed minimum deal for one season. Perfect. He goes on to add that Gabe York, Benny, uh, Benny Boatwright, David Stockton, and Servetus all linked Exhibit 10 deal. So that's what we talked about. We said that last episode, but we were not sure about what kind of contract James Johnson was going to get. I said it probably will be non-guaranteed or a partial guarantee, and Tony confirmed it. I believe he, I believe he tweeted this out yesterday, so I want to give him props, though, for, for getting this report because the Exhibit 9 language is something that we don't usually hear, but a non-guaranteed minimum deal for one season is really good for the Pacers because now if they do make a weird trade, they can cut him, and it also is nice to have that veteran there. So just um, the perfect deal, I think, for both – uh, not really, not really for him, but for the Pacers in this regard, in terms of trying to rebuild and have veteran leadership, but also not have that roster spot, you know, locked down. Oh, great, great job, Tony, and also great job by the Pacers. It just, it, it, it's perfect. It's, it's what we hoped for, and it's nice that you know, look, Pacers cut a couple checks when they waived the players involved in in the Malcolm Brogdon deal. Um, so I don't think they're trying to just cut all these checks. I know a lot of people were begging them to just, hey, bring in Westbrook, cut the check, get him out of here. But, you know, I, I don't think they are truly trying to waste money unless they have to. So that, that's good that it's a non-guaranteed deal. Absolutely. So uh, one more thing here, Fachi. Cannot believe it all this stuff ends. is popping up. We got yeah, a lot yeah. of news today. So this is just a news dump here. But from Sham Sharania on the rally just about 40 minutes ago said, I'm told the Lakers and Pacers did engage in some trade conversations this week, and the Pacers' demand for two unprotected first-round picks is just not appealing for the Lakers. NBA insider Sham Sharania reports on the Pacers' plans to keep Miles Turner into the season. So that's pretty big stuff just last week in Fudge. Interesting. Uh, and look, the Lakers – are in the right to hold out as long as possible because there will be more offers as things go on, as the season goes on. But also, I mean, look, if the Pacers are to end up folding and make a deal after they said Turner will 100% be on the opening day roster, 
ah, it's going to be hard to believe anything from them. And you know how the front office is. They always got to put on a face, say the right thing and all that. But in the end, the job of every single person in the front office is how do we make this team better? And they'll always be pursuing that. Anytime I hear the phrase in the end, I just want to jump into Linkin Park's song (laughs) in my head. Uh, But with that being said, Fachi, we are here also today to rank our top five best and worst moves of Kevin Pritchard's tenure. So we're going to take a quick break. We will come back second half of the show and discuss this. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. All right, Fachi, let's get into it here. We're going to do our top five worst moves made by Kevin Pritchard since the 2017 era when he took over as president of basketball operations for Larry Bird. Once again, we want to uh, thank Chuck and Jamie for sending this question in or this idea in for a podcast segment. So kudos to you guys for giving this to us. But Fachi, let's start at number five and work our way up to number one. At number five, what is the worst move you have that he's made? I got signed Tyreek Evans in 2018. <laughs> it's a one-year, $12.3 million deal, so it's nothing that, you know, hurt this team financially. But, you know, let's just think about where we're at over here. Tyreek Evans coming off of a really good year with Memphis, a former rookie of the year, a guy that had a lot of talent. However, just he struggled on and off the court. I mean, it, it, from an on-court perspective, I hadn't seen someone miss this many shots point blank at the rim in quite some time. Ends up having one of the worst season of his career, 10.2 points per game on 39% shooting. But I just felt like he needed the ball too much in his hands 
And also the Pacers had some trouble with him. They had to suspend him for being late to practice. Uh, we obviously know that he uh, struggled and uh, violated the anti-drug policy, which he was suspended for two seasons. And I'm not sure if he ever even makes it back to the league. Overall, a signing that we were very um, intrigued with, that was a major flop. Yeah, I had this one a little bit higher on my list, Vachi, okay. just because of, like you said, the things that went along with Tyreek, the off-the-court stuff. I mean, this is uh, this is one where they uh, – I remember J.J. Redick talked about it was down between Indiana and I believe it was Philadelphia. And maybe it was New Orleans. I can't remember at this point. But he said that it was between those two and that Indiana decided to go with Tyreek instead. So he moved on. And I just think how much different would the team would have been. Obviously, J.J. is not the scorer that Tyreek is in terms of getting to the rim because Sabonis feasted that year with all those misses. But uh, just having a veteran guy like J.J., a little bit more mature, someone that handles his business probably a lot better than Tyreek did, how that would have impacted the locker room. Maybe it helps a lot more. I don't know. But that would have been an interesting for me, Fachi, at number five. Uh, this one is kind of like two and one. So I said trading Edmund Sumner to Brooklyn. So we could sign Brad Wanamaker. Um, okay. The inability to address the third string point guard and then having to kind of get desperate and getting Brad Wanamaker off of the, you know, basically picking him up on a terrible uh, situation with all the injuries Pacers have with LeVert going down. I think that played a factor into them going after another point guard. But Brad Wanamaker was so bad last year, Fachi. Like, it was horrific, and he had to play way too many minutes early on in the year with Brogdon's injury concerns, um, and then T.J. McConnell ended up getting hurt later in the year. So I just felt like they could have done a lot better if they would have just addressed it during this offseason instead of waiting till training camp to bring him in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just Brad, the Brad Wanamaker stint was just uh, poorly received by everybody. I mean, it got to the point where if Brad Wanamaker had a single turnover, everyone was just, you know, banging at the desk to say, we got to get this man out of here. Like, what are we doing over here? And Hashtag bad Wanamaker. <laughs> yep, yep. People love Sumner. They did. That's why it was so unfortunate that the injury happened. And, you know, having a trade in Brooklyn, we obviously knew he was going to play, but it, it was uh, it was a bad situation. Um this next one I have over here, you know, I don't know if it's really, you know, it's not really like a single move, but I would just say sticking far too long with the double bigs. Look, I know it's, it could fall on coaches to be like having them both in the, in the starting lineup, but I just felt like Pritchard defended it for a while of trying to say, hey, look, we know we need to be different. You know, I remember him having that that quote a couple of times. What should have been an experiment lasted about two and a half years. Yeah, and And I just felt like, it kept the Pacers from playing modern basketball. And I just felt like that overall, you know, really wanting to keep that as a thing, I think hurt the team for a couple of years, kept us a bit stale. So while it's not a single move, such as signing someone or trading someone, I just felt like that was something that needed to be addressed. No, I think it's a good thing to bring up. I didn't put it on my list because it wasn't technically a transaction. Exactly. Yep. So I, I was trying to keep it strategically or strictly to that. Um, and so you know, obviously, I think they should have moved up the double bigs a long time ago, and he yeah. tried. Uh, I think the Gordon Hayward stuff, obviously, was very real. He tried to move off Miles. Then um, they tried to move Miles a couple different times, and it just didn't work out. I don't know what the situation was with why it didn't work out, but ultimately uh, moved off of Sabonis to get Halliburton. Don't think they move off Sabonis unless they get someone like Halliburton. So mm -hmm. 
that's just how they valued him, and I think it wasn't the right move. So for me, number four, this is where I have drafting Gogo Batanze. Look, mm. you talk about it. It goes hand-in-hand hand here. The Pacers already had two bigs on their roster that were taking up a ton of minutes. Why draft a guy that's never going to see the floor? Why draft a guy over somebody like a Matisse Thibel or a Brandon Clark or a Grant Williams or a Jordan Poole that could have actually helped your team? Instead, he falls into the no-man's land of being the third-string center that never gets playing time, especially with Nate McMillan. Like, he barely saw the court unless there was an injury. Um, even under Bjorken, he didn't really see the court either. So it was just one of those things where you just knew, like, this was not headed in for a great situation because, like, we already had the joke about having double bigs and then they go draft another center. Even though there was a lot of talk that Goga could be, like, a lottery pick, there's a reason he fell. And unfortunately, looking at the names that went behind him, none of them are like stars. Maybe maybe Poole will become one or something like that eventually. But the names behind him have all been major contributors on playoff teams. And I think you got to realize which direction the NBA draft or the NBA is heading. And to draft another center at this point was kind of silly to me. No doubt. And that is why that was next on my list. Okay. I mean, you're talking about Goga 18th overall. You already talked about, it. look, yes, the emergence of. Well, you know, we had the double bigs, but the emergence of Sabonis. I mean, at that point, Sabonis really coming into his own the previous season. Sabonis is coming off the bench. He's averaging 14 and 9 on 59% shooting. It was known you had to get this guy more playing time, get him into the starting lineup. But then when you're going with that double big approach, why are you going to then double down and draft another center? Yeah. So at that point, there was never a true opportunity to develop him. It was a purely wasted season. I know you mentioned a few of those guys. I mean, I, I wrote down a bunch of their names. You know, Matisse Thibel goes like right after there. Brandon Clark, Grant Williams. There's Jordan Poole you mentioned. There's also Keldon Johnson and Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, they I weren't going to take Kevin Porter I, I, Jr. And I, I, I understand that, even though, you know, Quite I'll never get over that. Um, but at the same point, there was talent there. And, yeah. and it, it just felt like this was a time that, like, the draft had just not been working in our favor. And Goga to this day is something that we're wondering, what are we, what do we do with them? Yeah. He's still here and he's still not able to get enough playing time. No, I agree with you. And I think bringing up Kelton Johnson's a great one because he's been really good in San Antonio. Obviously oh, yeah. he got in the contract extension this off season. I believe there was a reporting out there. I forget who was covering the Pacers. It was I mean, I mean, probably Jay Michael at this point. I think he said the Pacers had interest in Kelton Johnson. So uh, you got to wonder, would he have been the pick if Gogo wasn't there? So that that's interesting as well. I just, I just, I like Grant Williams. That's a guy I like to know. A lot of people were big fans of Brandon Clark at that point. Uh, Thibel was kind of one of those uh, mystery kind of guys. Like yeah. Really good defensive player. Poole was kind of a surprise, I think, but you know, Goga at this point, I, poor guy. I just, <laughs> we're not trying to crap on him, but we're just trying to make it obvious. Like it was just a really bad decision for the Pacers. And I think honestly, it hurt Goga's career by him being drafted here where he had zero chance to prove his worth. So for me, the number three, this is where I have signing Tyree Kevin. So okay, don't want to over, you know, talk this point too much since we already talked about it. But for everything that you brought up, I felt the same way. Just was not a good glue guy for this team. A lot of issues off the court had to be suspended by Nate McMillan for missing practice too much, like just a headache. And for a guy that played decently before he came to Indiana, you thought you were getting somebody good. And a lot of people praised this pickup, 
But unfortunately, with Vic going down, Wesley Matthews probably was, you know, a better fit than Tyreek Evans was, who's already on the team. And then you really didn't have a choice but to play him. But, you know, and the, the bad thing was in the playoffs, he was the only one that could get to the rim. But like you said, he was the only one that couldn't finish. <laughs> exactly. He really couldn't. I mean, it, you know, for those of you that don't really remember how big of a signing this was, this was a big deal. Like Tyreek Evans was a player that it was like, oh, my God. Like he was coming off of probably his second best season. Uh, that one, like I mentioned, was with the Memphis Grizzlies. And it just felt like, hey. Like, you know, rarely do we have these type of players choose us in free agency. Usually we get them through trade. So I was extremely, you know, hopeful about this. I still remember that was when, you know, our podcast was still pretty early on. And I remember we were talking about that and it was exciting. And man, the way that it finished was anything but exciting. Uh, Moving on next for number two on my list. I'm drafting TJ Leaf 2017. I mean, this is your number one. It's not my number one. Okay, my, uh, but look at this. my number two as well. Okay. Let's think about this. Look, first of all, one, we haven't brought up TJ Leaf in a while, and you know that was yeah, bound to You brought him up not too long ago. I know, but it, it's just like this man. I mean, this pick was so bad that it will, we will always think about it. One pick ahead of John Collins, who also plays the same position. Now, yes, we've heard John Collins. There were some character questions and heard that he didn't really interview well and all that, but – there was also Jared Allen in that draft. There was OG. There was Kyle Kuzma. I mean, these are all within the next few picks. Yeah. So, you know, here I am thinking there, there's Leaf, TJ Leaf as a rookie, never quite got off the ground. I felt like his game didn't translate to the NBA. He lacked toughness, the ability to put in hard work. Look, I, I could keep going, but I guess I, I made my point over there. But for the 2017 2018 Pacers team, that shocked many. TJ yeah. Leaf was unable to contribute anything while John Collins ended up putting up 10 and a half points, 7.3 rebounds, 58% shooting. And uh, he's a hundred million dollar player right now. I never hated a pick more than this one in real time. Fachi. I mean, it was terrible. We're looking at trading Paul George, this draft. We're talking about maybe getting the Boston pick. Maybe we're mm-hmm. getting Jason Tatum. We're excited. We walk away with Paul George still on the roster and we walk away with TJ Leaf. I mean, come on. OG Ananobi was sitting right there, an IU guy. Obviously, I get it. IU fans like IU players more than they probably should. But OG would have fit this team great because it's always hurt. So I don't know why they didn't go there, but um, just I'm kidding, obviously. But I will say this. The reason this is not number one for me, Fachi, also has to go with the fact that Larry Bird stepped down but still played a pivotal role in this draft. I personally believe from what I've heard and what I've talked with people that this draft might have went a little bit differently if Larry Bird hadn't been in the room. So just saying, I think Larry Bird's influence on this pick was larger than people realize. And we know Larry Bird liked these type of players. So, you know, there was potential, oh, he can really shoot the three. He's what everything that he did was based off of what Lonzo Ball was able to create for him in UCLA. Yep. We see it all the time. Good college players that don't pan out in the NBA. We just saw it about, you know, nine years before this draft with Tyler Hansborough. You know, that's the kind of guys that Pritchard liked. Or not Pritchard, but Bird liked. So, you know, it's not like Pritchard was going to go against Bird. You have to be in unison. You have to be, 
and lockstep when you're making these decisions. And so, sure, if you're looking at modern day power forwards, you want a guy that can spread the floor. It made sense. But, you know, TJ Leaf wasn't a terrible rebounder. I'll say that. He could rebound the basketball. I mean, I think he had 22 one game flashy. If I'm not mistaken, like a 15 and 22 game. Uh, yeah, I think there's like Chicago Bulls is like the game that yeah. stands out. Yes, like 15 the last and 22. <laughs> but all I'm saying, like it was a terrible pick. Obviously, players behind him were better. But with that being said, I think our number one is the same, Flachi. Tell me what uh, it is. Hiring Nate Bjorkman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it's got to be number one across everyone's list. Look, some of these draft picks were bad, but like, you know, like pick 18, you're like, all right, look, it was bad, but, it, you know, whatever. Hiring Nate Bjorkman, I mean, this guy was described as a, a Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde-like person. I mean, that's that's split personalities right there. It was a disaster of a year. I mean, think about it. The Pacers, they're still trying to recover for it. It was a one year run i mean that's pretty rare for a coach and and when the pacers had this much stability he was the guy that finally you know had us as no longer uh, as a playoff team and it's not so much that we fired nate mcmillan because look we were a consistent playoff team but that's it we couldn't get out of the first round but bjorkman just seemed like he was in way over his head and think about this alex he couldn't attract any notable assistant coaches none at all. And I don't know if he's going to be a head coach in the NBA again after that one-year stint in Indiana. Yeah, I would highly doubt it. He's already back with the Raptors. Ran back nurse, there. His friend. This was Kevin Pritchard's big swing. It was. Um, he was hoping to get the next Nick Nurse, and we heard that from a lot of different sources. And, you know, it made sense on paper if you look at all the stuff that Toronto does. But, first of all, you didn't have the roster that fits that style of play, nope. number one. Number two, Nate Bjorkren had issues with the locker room, giving players special treatment. We talked about all that forever. And the fact that, you know, his assistant coaching staff had to be put together basically by the front office because he couldn't get guys. That's a mark on like, okay, this guy probably isn't ready right now. But the fact that you had to fire him after one non-full 82-game season because it was that bad, that to me says, okay, you know what? This was a mistake. Pritchard having to swallow hard on this one and admit that is tough, you know. But I think at the end of the day, Nate Bjorkren, just an awful start to his NBA coaching career and in terms of a head coaching career. And it was so bad, Fachi. Like, I I can't really explain it, (laughs) how bad it was. But some of the stuff he was having them this team do was just inexcusable. So, I mean, Nate Bjorkren, I don't have anything against him personally, but I hope he never coaches my Pacers basketball team. Oh, my God. It felt like selfishly, it felt like the coolest thing he was doing was passing around the WWE belt. You know, when, oh, when, a, guy had, about that. when a guy had a good game, uh, good day of practice, you know, they let him have the belt. And, like, that's what I think of as, like, the one positive thing that was there. And, well, that didn't, uh, it didn't relate to winning. So, uh, no, we're both in agreement. That was, uh, hands down, the worst move of Pritchard's era. Yeah, so we had four of the five the same, so I think that's pretty awesome. Now let's move into the top five moves here, Fachi. I'll go first this time. Number five, the best move by Kevin Pritchard, hiring Rick Carlisle. Going to keep it with the coaches here. I I feel like the fact that he was able to admit that mistake, like we just talked about with Nate Bjorkman, and correct it with getting a veteran guy that knows this city, knows this franchise, has been here 
you know, now three different times, getting Rick Carlisle in. And not only does Rick Carlisle help this team get better on the court, his voice and his, you know, say inside the front office and their communication, it is incredibly impactful to what's going on right now with this rebuild. So I personally think that Rick Carlisle being hired uh, was a terrific move by Kevin Pritchard. It was a terrific move. I didn't have it in my top five. I probably should have, but, uh, you know, especially coming off of, uh, you know, uh, Bjorken being the worst. Yeah. So that would have made sense. But at number five, I had trading cash to the Suns for TJ Warren and the okay. 32nd overall pick in twenty. <laughs> I have this one higher. <laughs> okay. No, hey, I respect that. Look, the Pacers absorbed Warren's three-year, $35 million remaining. Um, on his contract, he instantly became a major contributor to the Pacers. Warren had a career year, led us in scoring, 19.8 points per game on near 54% shooting and 40% from three. Fortunately, he's only played four games since. So I think if TJ Warren had really panned out more and uh, been able to play, I think I would have had this move even higher because it was a grade A trade to be able to acquire talent without really, you know, you physically didn't give anything up other than cash. Perfect. Yeah, I'll go ahead and just say where I have this. I have this as number three. Um, The reason I had it at number three ahead of number four, which I'll get to here in a second, is basically because the Pacers didn't do anything but just take on the money. It was like Mm -hmm. getting a free agent, plus the fact that they got the 32nd pick, Fachi, from the Suns in this deal just to take him on was massive, okay? And you can say what you want about TJ Warren and all the injuries that happened. Like, that's part of the reason the Suns wanted to move on from him, but – that one year, 2019-2020, with T.J. Warren was probably the most memorable moments that I can remember from the last three to four years of Pacers basketball. What he did in the bubble was one oh, of the yeah. most fun, fun times ever as a Pacer fan since 2020, okay? Since the pandemic, that's probably the most memorable thing besides Definitely. trading for Halliburton, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like that moment was so cool. The whole Jimmy Butler thing, getting into it with him, like mm. – you can't say Good enough times. great things about T.J. Warren that season and how pivotal he was to this team. And I think him not being healthy is part of the reason why you saw this team struggle so much over the last two seasons. Because when he wasn't out there, this team was not very good. When he was on the floor playing, he was really good, and he had a really great connection with Nate McMillan. So, um, unfortunately, he only got to play one year under McMillan. They both went to North Carolina State, but I really like that. But anyway, number four, Fachi, what you got? Trading an injured and disgruntled Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert in two second-round picks. Okay. Yeah. Oladipo had rejected a contract extension, which would have paid him just over $25 million per year. It's believed it could have been right around a four-year, $113 million deal, roughly. Uh, Say what you want about how LeVert played for us. And uh, the fact that, obviously, they found out what his medicals were and he missed some more time. But simply put, Oladipo was not the same and was not going to sign an extension. It seemed like he wanted to go either the max or, or take it to the offseason. He ends up going to Houston, then he's traded to Miami, and he hasn't been the same since. Levert, you know, it's kind of tied in there. You know, eventually he gets flipped to Cleveland for a first, 31st. Rubio's expiring and saves the Pacers about $18 million. So while the second part is not, you know, involved in the first move, I thought being able to get Levert and get rid of Oladipo at that time was a major win for the Pacers. Yeah, I did put this one on my list, and I thought about it. I did. I just felt like Karis LeVert's time in Indiana was so short-lived. 
and it was not a good experience from what I remember. There were some moments that were fun, but other than that, uh, I was finding myself not enjoying the trade as much as I did when it first happened. Oh, when it first happened, I it was I was like, man, I, I really did think very highly of Levert. I really did. But also, there was like this cloud over the team, you know, during, you know, when you heard Oladipo had, had rejected the offer and you knew he kind of wanted to be traded and all that. And I felt like it was a, it was a relief for the, for the team or for the players to be able to say, hey, we're moving on in a different direction. But obviously, you're right. It didn't equate to winning. Right. And so then you think, I mean, I'm, I don't want to get too far into it because I don't know if you have this on your on your list later. But if you do, we'll just talk about it later. I mean, the fact that they ended up trading Levert just the next season and could potentially only get two second-round picks out of it makes you feel like, okay, was this really that great of a move or not? Was was it a good move? I think at the time you have to say it was a good move. I'm not going to knock the trade, but I don't think it was top five for me in terms of what Pritchard's done. So for me, number four, this is where I have drafting Chris Duarte and trading up for Isaiah Jackson. I put them together because this is how the 2021 NBA draft went. And, you know, we I, I was not super excited about Duarte considering Moses Moody was on the board, but I knew Duarte was going to be a good player. I said that in our in our draft reaction podcast. I, I said, look, I don't have a, any doubt that Duarte is going to be a good player. I think he fits with what we're trying to do, but it just didn't feel like the upside swing that you wanted. But, you know, at 25 years old, Duarte entering his second season, he is a little bit older, but – I like his game, and I think he's going to be good for this team. And I think Isaiah Jackson is a very promising prospect who's got a lot of upside, but he's only 20, 21 right now. So there's a lot more room for him to grow and be a part of this young core. So I just felt like the 2021 draft, Fachi, was just unreal. And the fact that we've gotten to see both players kind of shine made me really excited to, to put this on the list. If we were to lump those together into one move, then I would have had it on my list. But when I went through and, you know, about Duarte, look, in the end, we played it safe. And I do, just like you said, I do think Duarte is going to be a good player. It still remains to be seen about Moses Moody, though. I mean, he was the Mm. best player. He was the best player in summer league. He was. It's hard to get minutes on on, on Golden State. I do believe. good when he played. That's what I'm saying. I, I believe in Moses Moody. I definitely do. So that's why I'm saying, like, the Pacers played it safe with Duarte. Oh, if, they did. If he, if you want to lump in Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, like just like you did, then yeah, great draft right over there. So yeah. I did not have that on my list. I'll just say th- this real quick. Chris Duarte's defense, like you can make the case that he's arguably the best perimeter defender on this team right now. Good. And that's why I'm saying like, okay, he was older. Probably yeah. should have taken Moody if you're looking like Nine we knew back. we were gonna exactly. If you if, knew if, we were gonna rebuild, then definitely. But the Pacers right. didn't know that, so but I get I, it. But I still think like he's gonna be a three and D guy for the rest of his career. Like yes. his his floor is very high. So I'm not concerned about that. But I do uh, I do understand what you're saying because there could have been better players there. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I mean Chris Duarte is still gonna be a solid NBA player. Absolutely, um, and he's actually shown more promise in his career than Isaiah Jackson has. So yeah, uh, it's only been one season, obviously, but I think. What we saw from his first season, you should have no doubts about if he's going to be able to sustain this level of play in the league. No doubt about it. At number three, I'm drafting Benedict Matherin. Um, Look, sure, we're already crowning the man, but I thought we did a great job. I thought Pritchard did a great job of what we mentioned earlier in the podcast, putting the Pacers in position to be able to select 
Matherin. Then also being able to get him in more. They, they, they got him in for that secret workout also, which was great. Um, the secret workout. We got the secret workout, the special pen. I mean, we're doing things differently over here. So look, this was the first pick that I could remember that there was zero debate about. Zero debate. Yeah. You know, I mean, for, uh, you know, for um, Jay Nivey, Jay Nivey wasn't even on the board. So at that point, it was like, you're going Benedict Matherin. And I, I feel like maybe you could have had a small sliver of, of people uh, wanting a Shaden Sharp. But at this point, for a lot of us, it was Benedict Matherin's there, take him. And to me, I thought that was an amazing day as a Pacer fan. Yeah, so – while I'm excited about Benedict Matherin, we haven't seen him play one game yet. So I didn't put him on my list. Okay. And that is the reason why. I could have put him on there and, and said, okay, well, obviously you get this guy that can run with Halliburton. No no question, slam dunk, no brainer. Like this is the move you make. But because I haven't seen him play, look, there's a chance, small chance, but there's a chance that Matherin is a bust. Okay. Whoa. And I'm just saying there's a small chance that it could happen. I mean, we don't six overall pick happens all the time with like Jared Corn, that in there. guys like that. I, I mean, I know the six pick seems borderline cursed, <laughs> but I mean, from from what we saw, and I know right. it doesn't mean much, man. Matherin, time right. and, and I'm excited about him. I'm not saying I'm not excited about him. I'm just saying until I actually see him play a game, I can't consider this a top five transaction at this moment. Just because I want to see what he looks like first, okay? Fair so if enough, we did this enough. next year, he could be number one, okay? Like, that's how drastic this could be. Um, I already said my number three was the Warren trade with the 32nd pick from the Suns for cash. We'll move on to number two, Fachi. What you got? Uh, well, with, and, you know, maybe you have this at one, maybe you have it at two. But I said trading Sabonis, Justin Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and nine days of Tristan Thompson. All right? Because – this trade ushered in the next chapter of the franchise as we embarked on a rebuild and a youth movement led by Tyrese Halliburton. And it truly feels like we have a franchise cornerstone at point guard. And this could be someone that, you know, people truly want to come here and play alongside. So this was a, a great move that at the time it was a bold move, but I think that every single you know, Pacer fan, I think everybody around, even around the league, was like, that was a great move for Indiana. Yeah, so my number two is probably your number one, and that's probably. acquiring Oladipo and Sabonis for Paul and George. Okay. I don't know if that's your number one or not. Maybe but, it is. We'll find out. Uh, so I will just say this. The Pacers had their backs against the wall. They get two All-Stars in return for Paul George over that time that they're there. But the team never got out of the first round, okay? Victor Oladipo was good for a season and a quarter of a season. And after that, really just the injuries derailed him that situation ended terribly. You thought you finally found your franchise player once Paul George left right away. And it went to went to hell pretty quickly there with Oladipo and the Pacers and their organization. So... I really wanted to put this one higher because I think it's an incredible trade that the Pacers were able to get two all-stars for Paul George when he put them in that situation and the fact that they banked and betted on themselves to get younger here. But Oladipo, the way the whole thing fell apart at the end, now that we can see it, you know, it's one of those things where it's still a great move. It's just not number one to me. And then the fact that you moved off of Sabonis as well already um, he was a six-man-of-the-year candidate in that 2018-2019 season like we talked about. 
comes in, he gets um, – did he have two all-star appearances? Yep. Mm-hmm. Two all-star appearances as well. So, you know, it, it's tough to sit here and say, well, they got four all-star appearances out of this trade, but they moved off of both players before, you know, after five years, right, total. So, to me, you never felt like either one of them were going to be the face of the franchise after Vic's, Vic's injury. You felt like Sabonis – had a cap to what he could become. And we all knew that we wanted him to get better players around him because we knew he could never be that number one. So with that being said, I just feel like at this moment, um, the, the accolades are higher uh, in terms of Oladipo and Sabonis uh, and in terms of a trade and what you're getting, but neither of them are here. Neither of them were long-term solutions. And you ended up trading one of those pieces to potentially get your long-term solution. And that's why at number one, I had your number two, acquiring Halliburton, Buddy, and uh, Tristan Thompson for Sabonis, Lamb, and Justin Holiday. The fact that you were able to cash in and get potentially the future face of your franchise, which is what we're hearing from everybody in Tyrese Halliburton. It just feels different, Fachi, than the Oladipo era after the injury. And I just feel like Halliburton's ceiling is higher than both Oladipo and Sabonis's. No, no, I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, when you're obviously looking at it now, I mean, yeah, Hal Burton's ceiling definitely looks way higher than Oladipo and Sabonis's. And, and that could definitely be number one, and no one would bat an eye. The reason why I had the Paul George trade higher was because just what you mentioned before, backs against the wall. When Paul George went public with that trade request, he murdered his value, he killed it. Yeah. I remember at one point I was thinking, like, hey, this could be, like, Jalen Brown, a first-round pick. Like, you know, they, they said – and there was – apparently there was, like, no real offers out there. And when the Pacers, you know, completed this trade with the Thunder, I remember I, I was out with a bunch of friends. And, I mean, it, it ruined my night because I was like, Oladipo and Sabonis? I was like, what? Like, that's the best I was out there? And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is going to be a rough year. You're talking about a former number two overall pick who hadn't lived up to expectations but had been all right. You're talking about Sabonis, who you're just like, ah, you know, like his dad was real good, but you know, he's not coming off of a great year with the Thunder. Um, and all of a sudden, you're talking about Oladipo becomes an all-star, most improved, all-NBA third team, all-defensive first team. Sabonis blossoms into a multiple-time all-star. I felt like this was a type of trade that the Patriots would have been rebuilding years ago because when they when they did this trade, I'll never forget, they were projected to win 32 games. And they end up coming out, they win 48 games. It was a lot of fun. They pushed LeBron and the Cavs to seven games in the first round. It felt like they got past LeBron. I mean, the East was weak that year. So <laughs> it, it just felt like this was a trade that, you know, Pritchard's job was honestly pretty much on the line. And I do think that this trade bought him a lot of time. Um, so I thought given the situation, they pulled off a great deal where for the Halliburton one, like the Pacers didn't have to make a move, but they made a great move with the Paul George trade. They absolutely had to make a move. And I thought they got a really good return. Obviously years later, it didn't work out, but at the time it's hard to give that deal anything less than, you know, an A or an A plus. You really think Pritchard would have been on the hot seat if he didn't make, if he didn't hit on the Paul George trade. No, not that, but I'm saying a couple years later, the Pacers, there's no way they're good. I mean, you're talking about Oladipo and Sabonis. Like, if they had just gotten, you know, a so-so player and a pick, he could easily have been let go by now. Yeah, I think it's a lot. What they ended up getting was way better than what was rumored to be 
uh, this trade got ripped apart as like, like horrendous. Like the Gary the Harris and a pick or whatever it was. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like Gary yeah. Harris and like a first round pick. Pritchard's gone by now. Definitely. I don't think he's gone based off how we've seen Herb Simon do things. I mean, uh, I think people have been calling for Pritchard to be fired pretty much since he took over or after the Oladipo thing. And he's still here. So I, I don't think it'd have been fired. Now I will say this. Backs against the wall. We knew we had to make a trade, Fachi. So I think that's why, for me, it's like all these offers were coming in. Now, you look at it from a different standpoint, say he acquired Halliburton when nobody around the league thought he was available, okay? The only way he was potentially going to be available is if for somehow, uh, was it the Sixers were trying to trade Ben Simmons for him? In this deal, and the, and the the Kings and the Sixers had talked about this a little bit, so there was some rumblings. Hmm, maybe he goes to Sacramento in a deal with who was it? Harrison Barnes at the time. I, I can't remember what the rumor deal was, but all I know is, is that you hadn't really heard Halliburton's name mentioned besides the Sixers, and everybody thought, well, the Pacers are talking with the Kings about De'Aaron Fox, and we were like, that's not going to happen. The fact that the Pacers went in there and took Halliburton in the second year of his rookie contract and just swept him into Indiana, and nobody knew that he was even available, to me that's more impressive than backs against the wall and sorting through your trade offers and gambling on on a young player in Sabonis who struggled his rookie year next to Steven Adams and you know Victor Oladipo being an Indiana graduate right so or an iu uh, alumni whatever um formerly from indiana people were familiar with him so that that to me is why i just think the fact that he was able to get halliburton when no one expected it is more impressive hey bold bold trades very impressive i think tyrese halliburton is, is going to be the best player that we've acquired out of the group so he could easily be number one um <laughs> you know for different reasons but, hey, uh, overall, I, I think it's uh, a guarantee that those two moves have to be at the top of the list for everybody. Did you have an honorable mention? Of course I had an honorable mention. You know, was, I was got a couple in there that didn't make the cut. Um, now, in terms of uh, what do you want first? Best either, or, either or. Just hit okay. In terms of best, I think you know, you got to give a little bit of love for the Boyan Bogdanovich signing. I, in 2017, <laughs> two years, $21 million, it was Evident that Boyan quickly became a fan favorite and outplayed that contract to the point that his next deal was 17 to 20 million dollars per year. So, you know, Boyan, I mean, look, let, let's think about it. The infamous Boyan game against the Cavs, game three of the playoffs, scores 30 points, defends LeBron, hits countless big shots. So, uh, that one definitely makes my honorable mention. And then, lastly, as an honorable mention, uh, trading Toy Craig for Jalen Smith and a future second round pick. Simply put, Toy Craig had no role on this team moving forward. The signing in the beginning was a little bit questionable. And, uh, you know, Pritchard pulled a legit rabbit out of a hat when he brought in the former 10th overall pick, uh, who was just 22 years old. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, getting Jalen Smith to re-sign this offseason should have been on that list, probably. Um, but I don't think that happens without Rick Carlisle. So that's why I picked Rick Carlisle. Um as, as my number five over it. But I definitely think the fact that you were able to make Jalen Smith feel that welcomed and loved that he would re-sign a three-year deal with us, like not even like a one-year deal, but a three-year deal on the minimum amount of money he was able to make when he had other offers, like that's pretty impressive. Um, I like the Bojan one. That's a good one. Um, Thad Young, uh, 
that was he didn't make that move. That was Larry Bird. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good one. Did you have any more bad ones? Oh yeah. So in terms of some of the bad ones uh, that uh, did not make the list, and for these, you know, you and I differentiated on a few of these, but I had signing Brogdon to the early extension. I hated it. I hated that move. Two years, $45 million extension made him ineligible to be traded last year. Look, I don't know what the trade packages would have been for Brogdon, but they could have been potentially a little bit better than, you know, a late, late first in Neesmith uh, and taking on uh, Daniel Tice's contract. So I did not like that move. And then also this one, the reason why I left it off was it wasn't that we brought in Brogdon because that was a great move initially. But it was that Herb Simon pushed for the sign and trade because you got to remember that cost the Pacers a 2020 first round pick and two second round picks to then sign Brown to a four year, $85 million deal, which, you know, there's no guarantee that Milwaukee matches that deal. Mm -hmm. So in the end, we lose a first round pick and two second round picks. Yeah, no, I I thought about that one as well. The the, the trading of the first round pick for Brogdon and RFA makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Pacers settled for what they got back from Brogdon and think there could have been a better, you know, option out there? I think they definitely settled. I, I don't know if there could have been a better option short term, like immediately they could have been a longer play, but I think they really wanted to clear off some money, be able to make a run at you know, either DeAndre Ayton or if they were serious about Miles Bridges. I can't remember the timeline of, of how things lined up that way, but I think they really wanted to clear out money and have this just be known, look, Tyrese Halbert, you're the guy. We're, we're moving forward on a youth movement. And I think they were just like, you know what? Hey, first-round pick, young talent, shedding salary. Let's get the deal done. Yeah, and that's, a, that's how I feel, too. I think that they settled a little bit, but at the end of the day, I think they talked themselves into the first-round pick and Neesmith being a former lottery pick, and that was enticing to them. Now, for me, the only one that I didn't mention that I thought was a semi-bad move, and that, it, wasn't good, it wasn't bad enough to put it on the list, but re-signing T.J. McConnell to that four-year deal. I debated it. I debated it. Oh, ouch, you knew T.J. McConnell didn't have a next level. Right. He, he gave us the best possible year that T.J. McConnell could deliver. And, you know, look, it's not to say that, oh, man, we really missed out on not re-signing Doug McDermott, but it was just like re-signing McConnell was like we were thinking too short-term. Like that was their priority. That was the, the deal that got done the second free agency started. And now we're like, well, you can't shoot threes like Tyrese Halliburton's the point guard now. Like, what do we do with McConnell? And it was like he was too much of a priority for them. No, and I agree with you there. It's just one of those things where it's like, this is the guy you want to invest all your free agency money in right now. That's what they do. Lock him up long term. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I'm fine with it. He's he's not overpaid. I will say that. I don't think no, he's really fine. overpaid. I just didn't feel like having a non-shooting point guard on your team with the style of play they were wanting to play made a whole lot of sense. But it's over with now. We're, we we accept it for what it is. TJ is going to be a good mentor for these young guys, and it doesn't really matter now. So that's why I had to put it on there. But other than that, Fachi, that was a fun little exercise to do. If we left any off that you guys feel like we should have added on, let us know in the comments section, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're seeing this post at, or if you're just a subscriber of the podcast and don't, uh, interact with us on social media. You can email me 
at alexgoldenmba at gmail.com. And what's your email, Flachi? Mike.Fachi at gmail.com. Send them my way. Yeah, we'd love to hear back from you. But with that being said, Fachi, that wraps up today's episode. Let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. But Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Every time you say that, I laugh. <laughs> you can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Or just go to your Google browser, type in Setting the Pace YouTube. We'll be right there. Obviously, we have not put much content up during the offseason. Last one we put up was an interview probably uh, with myself and Michael Scotto. So make sure you subscribe, though, because we're going to have some different stuff there once the season starts. And if you're not already, make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram because this year we're going to be doing some stuff post-game where we give a little reaction to the game that happened. So if you're interested in that, Going to be doing a little bit more content for you. Won't be super long videos, probably a minute or less to get you guys up to date on things we saw. We don't want to take too much away from the podcast, but going to be putting out a lot of content for you. And if you haven't already, this is a personal plug. Make sure you check out my sub stack, uh, the blue and golden, and, and subscribe to that. I'll put a link out there on Twitter because I'm going to be doing some blogging this year as well, Flashy. So it's got to it's be a lot of fun. we got a lot of things to talk about. But with that being said, if you're excited that the Pacers will be back next week for media day and training camp, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We going to need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.